Hello and welcome to the podcast for All Back to Bowie's from Saturday the 16th of August. This show was called The Dragons Have Been Bled, Wales and Independent Scotland. Uh, I particularly liked this show. We had some lovely guests and it had a very warm, uh, low-key sort of atmosphere. Um, and I don't know if that's appropriate to Wales or not, but the theme seemed to be Harith, the uh, feeling of longing and nostalgia peculiar um, to uh, the Welsh, or at least a word peculiar to Welsh, and that was something that was a p- most interesting part of the discussion for me. Uh, we have some wonderful guests, um, and also I would particularly ask you to look out for the performance from the band A New International who just blew me away in this show Um, both songs that they play are absolutely fantastic but we also have as usual uh, really terrific poetry in this instance from Catrin Dafford and um, a lovely letter from Lucy Ellenson so it's a terrific show all in all please sit back and enjoy the dragons have been bled, Wales, and an independent Scotland. Hello. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to All Back to Bowie's. Um, my name's David Gregg. Uh, I'm your host for today. Um, if you, We've just got a couple of technical things we're trying to work out in the background. Please ignore the, uh, the, um, the gremlins. The, um, so... Uh, all back to Bowie's. Around about last May, David Bowie at the Brit Awards, using the corporeal presence of Kate Moss, said, Scotland, stay with us. And so a small group of us thought, well, that's a very, very kind invitation, and so we shall. And we took the journey to Manhattan, and here we are in, his, in David Bowie's rooftop guest yurt on the 55th floor you can hit, feel the wind and in fact if you if you close your eyes you can just hear manhattan outside all the traffic the the distant horns of the staten island ferry so you know that we're here um actually we 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 also we've recently been inundated with with offers to stay um we had 200 come in the post just the other day. So um, <clears throat> I think we'll be pitching the yurt on uh, Kirsty Allsop and Bruce Forsyth's lawn <laughs> next. So that's why we're here. And mainly we're here because we love David Bowie. We think he's one of the most interesting artists of the second half of the 20th century. And it seemed that perhaps if we could go to his house and be in his rooftop yurt and show him some of the debate and ideas and thoughts that are going around below the political level in the Scottish referendum, then he might um, and explore some ideas of our own and bring his questing spirit to bear, then um, who knows, uh, we might even uh, be able to uh, uh, get, get, get him interested in what's going on. So that's the idea behind All Back to Bowie's. We have a different theme every day. And today's theme is, uh, we're going to talk about Wales. Wales and an independent Scotland. Um, we've called it, and the dragons have been bled. Every day has to have a, a, Bowie, um, a Bowie lyric as its title. I spent, I think, three weeks <laughs> reading every single David Bowie lyric to find a Wales reference, and that was the best I could get. It's from a very, very obscure, um, very obscure 1980s album. If anyone, in fact, if anyone can recognize it, uh, I'll, I'll give them some sort of prize. I don't know what it is, but we'll, we'll find a prize. So anyway, um, we've got a super, super panel, and we've got a super, super band today as well. A couple of house rules. At Bowie's, we don't like binary questions we find we find binary questions reductive and problematic and so we don't um we don't ask people yes we don't ask people whether they're going to vote yes or no 
um, if people want to tell us in the course of the discussion, that's absolutely great. But we don't ask people. But there is one binary question that we kind of feel we're not able to proceed without having asked people. There's some things you just do have to take a position on in life one way or the other. It really is the most important question of the day. Uh, and that question is quite simply this. Do you agree that David Bowie is pronounced Bowie? Um, we've been taking a running referendum on this as we've been going along. And, uh, and it's important that we know today the feelings of the house before we proceed. So, if you are, yes, David Bowie is pronounced Bowie, please raise your hands. <clears throat> Once more, an overwhelming, by the looks of the motion, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, 33, 34, 35, 36, 37, 38, 39, 40, 41, 42, 43, 44, 45, 46, 47, 48, 49, 50, 51, 52, 53, 54, 55, 56, 57, 58, 59, 60, 61, 62, 63, 64, 54. Uh, if you, on the other hand, say no, David Bowie is pronounced Bowie, please raise your hands. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 18. 18. Is that, do, I sense there's some people here who feel they need more information <laughs> before making... Professor John Curtis, uh, well, he's, he has actually... We're going to be giving all the raw data to him and he'll be breaking it down and working out. One of the awful things was we did have a third option, um, Devo Max, uh, which, which had to be taken off the table um, at the last minute. So anyway, now that we know where we stand, there's one other thing that we ask everybody to do, at, all back to uh, Bowie's, um, every day. I'm a... I'm a Bowie. I'm used to being on the losing side. I, um, every day we ask the audience to do a little task. Basically, we try and pack so many different things in that we don't really feel there's much chance for you know, questions from the audience. And we're trying to sort of uh, get our audience interaction in a different way. So what we like to do is ask the audience to participate and do a task for us through the course of the show. And that task is quite simply to complete a sentence. Um, the sentence every day is related to the theme. So, for example, um, a couple of days ago we were talking about Ireland, and the sentence was "Ireland is dot dot dot." A few weeks ago we talked. About, a few days ago we talked about Braveheart, and the sentence was "Braveheart is dot dot dot." Um, and today, because we're talking about Wales, I would like you to consider the sentence "Wales is dot dot dot." Do we have any Welsh people in, by the way? We have one Welsh person. Well, welcome. We offer you... <laughs> that was Neil Murray, uh, one of our guests who's from Wales, knows this person. I think that might be not true, but anyway, we'll, we'll find out. So Wales is. So what I'd like you to do, first of all, is fi find about your person a bit of paper. You will have a flyer. You will have... A, some scrap of paper, you'll have a bit of receipt, you'll have a bus ticket, you'll have something. And, and just, and also find about your person a pen or a pencil. And if you don't have a pen or a pencil, um, the person next to you may have a pen or a pencil, or someone in your row. Scotland, as you know, is an intrinsically social democratic country, and so we share and pool our resources. So you shouldn't have a problem finding a pen or a pencil. And through the course of the show, just consider the sentence, Wales is dot, dot, dot. And then, with a bit of luck, at the end of the show, we'll gather all your sentences together, and we're going to try... Uh, every day we try and read the sentences in the form of an impromptu, crowd-sourced uh, poem. Um, and uh, so be creative, that's the other point. So, I mean, I suppose you, you, know, you can respond to it any way you like, but be aware that uh, it's your license to be creative as well. But it's also your chance to respond to things which get said during the discussion. Um, and all of the stuff that we gather, uh, not to put any pressure on you, but all the stuff we gather, we keep and we write it all down 
and we put uh, the sentences up on the website and everything and uh, all your little scraps of paper ultimately will be destined for the National Library of Scotland's referendum archive so there you go you will be down in history okay so I think that's enough about me um, uh, for enough from me the next uh, thing every day at Bowie's we have some music to start us off and today's no exception. Today we have an absolutely wonderful band to welcome to the stage. Can you please give it up for the Glasgow band, A New International. These changeovers will be a lot smoother, folks, come after independence. <laughs> okay. This is called the land reforms. Thank you. 
Thanks, guys. That was gorgeous. That was wonderful. Um, I'd like to welcome to the stage now uh, our panel guests. Uh, we've got a fantastic panel today um, to talk about Wales. So please come up to the stage, guys, and I'll introduce, first of all, Neil Murray of the National Theatre of Scotland, uh, producer of the National Theatre of Scotland. Uh, if you'd like to come up there, Neil. And also Sarah Jane Lee uh, and Bud James Jones. I do sorry about pronouncing it. Bud James Jones. Bithick James Jones. Um, who are producing a show... Uh, who, who are... Um, but the producer and performer of a show called Heraith at the, at the uh, 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 Fringe. We'll talk about that in a moment. But first of all, please welcome to the stage our panel. Great. Um, so, so um, first of all, uh, if if we could, if I could ask um, Billy, could you just tell us a little bit about the show that you're doing, um, what it's called, and just a little bit about what it's about? Because I think it sets up the discussion quite interestingly. Yeah. So, um, Hiraith is an autobiographical show about my life growing up on a farm in West Wales and the farm has been in our family for four generations and um, I'm the first in the family to leave Wales and um, in through doing that my decision of leaving also means that it's the end of farming in our family. Um, I'm the last one in the generation that could have possibly passed it on and I've kind of decided to the end. What that. does he wraith mean? Um, so Heraith is a um, not <laughs> um, Heraith is a non-translatable or there's no direct translation um, to the English language of it. I think there's a Portuguese uh, equivalent of it, but um, is it fado? Is, is is I think it yeah. is that yeah. But the um, so it basically means um, it it's an emotion which you feel for your country and for your home and it's a sort of yearning for a life that you don't really have anymore or a yearning for your home but also it's mixed with pride over that and pride over your country and your home and yeah it's a really complicated emotion but everyone in Wales kind of knows it well yeah um Sarah Jane you you met Bivig uh uh and because you're the producer of this show. Yeah. Can you just tell me how you guys met and what drew you to the idea of doing the show in the first place? Um, well, me and Bithig met through a National Theatre Wales team, which is a um, part of the company which allows um, creatives in Wales to get involved in the activity that they make. And it also helps them to like make their own activity. So they like um, have a spoken word night, which a spoken word poet runs. Um, they've had like other kind of events and we met through doing work for them and through also doing work on National Theatre Wales projects um, and when I met Bivig the show had kind of already started to be created so it's been made over like a period of three years um, and you're, in, you, yeah. you told me that your relationship to Welshness is also complicated so Bivig is from a farm background, tell me about your background um, so I'm from Cardiff and neither of my parents speak Welsh and so I don't have any kind of relationship to the Welsh language um, so yeah so it's, in, it's quite so you're, different you're kind of coming kind of from two different, different parts yeah. of the country and, and what drew you to the show Did um, it's, it's just a lovely show I think it, it, it talks a lot about Wales but it kind of questions a lot about Wales as well if that makes sense and kind of Welsh culture um, yeah and it's just a really interesting story and I think it's a story that actually kind of goes outside of Wales as well so anywhere who's kind of got an agricultural community and people are making that decision like all over the world with like urban like rural to urban migration and stuff like that so I think it's just quite a universal story. Neil Murray, uh, executive producer of the National Theatre of Scotland, um, you've lived in Scotland since I've, I mean a long time now, 20 odd years. Since before dinosaurs walked the earth. Since before dinosaurs walked the earth. But um, I, I thought you would be interesting to speak to because uh, of your background. You you you're from Newport. Tell us a little yeah. bit about your journey to Scotland. Um, we were talking outside briefly earlier. I'm from what would almost be called debatable lands in Scotland. Right. Newport is uh, an industrial town on the River Usk. 
um, 12 miles east of Cardiff and about 30 miles west of Bristol. So it sits right between England and Wales. And when I was growing up, Newport was in what was called Monmouthshire. Yeah. Monmouthshire, I'm looking at the one Welsh person here for recognition. Um, I can't believe there's only one Welsh person, it's pathetic. Um, sorry, it's kind of, no, anyway, no, I don't agree with that. Um, and Monmouthshire really, you know, if, you know, Newport was defiantly Welsh with, within that county, yeah. but if you went less than 10 miles to Monmouth, you, that was English, it's actually, I don't know, Chepstow and those yeah. places, you're right on the border, you're right on the border, and I grew up, um, it's a very industrial town, it's a steel town, it was actually the, my, my father was a steel worker in the Lamwern steel plant, which was a sister plant to Ravenscraig in, in Motherwell, built around the same time, and that whole, that town, it's now a city, we got promoted to a city, there's a great story about Newport, very briefly, Newport was not allowed to be a city, uh, because of the Chartist uprising of 1848. That's a true story. Uh, Newport was denied city status by, I think, Queen Victoria. So, as a def- uh, so definitely, that's an interesting thread to just pull out there for a moment, because that's a radical tradition, and that's, I mean, if possibly a little bit uh, tendentious to make Chartism exactly uh, coterminous with socialism, but nevertheless, there is something there about a, a South Wales tradition of... of I mean, it was a fierce pride for the town. You know, John, yeah. John Frost was the guy who led the Chartist Uprise. John Frost Square, which is not the prettiest... Newport is not the prettiest of towns, one would have to say. The one Welsh person will agree with me. You've never been there even, look at that. But, ah, we have a Welsh person who's never really lived in Wales. It's getting, well, it's but getting I mean, worse. But just, just, we we, we can say anything here. Take, no. take a little bit more... Well, I want to okay. come back to that, actually, because there is a curious absence of Wales, which I want to explore. But before we get to that, this... If there's one thing we do know about Wales, it's this, uh, I guess it's this north and south. And we see in the south a sort of um, industrial and uh, a trade union uh, uh, background. And is that kind of where Newport sits? Yeah, absolutely. And Newport sits very much uh, as an industrial town with a socialist background, very much defined in itself by, by the Chartist uprising. And, and, what- the, and and what then, for you though, growing up there, what, why did you leave? Because you've never been to Newport. It's not that... Newport is a really curious place. It's, it's a really, I mean, at some point in the 1980s, it had the reputation, not the reputation, the record of being the most violent town in Britain per head of capita. It's right. like the Wild West at times. What happens is, Newport is quite a big town. It's, it's about 135,000 people, so it's not, you know, it's not... A, and what would happen in Newport is that everybody would come down from Pontypridd and from Merthyr on a Friday night, get drunk and fight, and it really was the Wild and this West. Is, we're going back here to the 1980s. 70s so. and 80s, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I left in 1978, I left. Yeah. And I, it's what you did. You, you right. didn't really stay there. I mean, there was. I mean, the steelworks were still actually open then, and kind of. But the writing was on the wall that you know there were there was industrial dispute looming, and the steelworks is gone. It's 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 run by about a hundred people work there. It used to employ ten thousand people directly, and about forty thousand people indirectly in the town. So it's killed that town, and that was the writing was on the wall. Vivek, your story is also. I mean, just to explore this briefly, your story is also a story about deciding to leave, but you're deciding to leave quite a different context. Um, tell us a little bit about the, the, the background that you have, where you're from, and the, how, you know, perhaps in comparison to Neil's Newport. Um, it, well, where I grew up is also referred to as the Wild West, but I think for different <laughs> reasons, in the sense that everyone just gets drunk and <laughs> they don't really fight each other, they just like so you're from North tip Wales. cows and... Huh? They tip cows, so. <laughs> yeah. But is this North Wales we're talking uh, about? So? No, so I'm from ah, right, um, okay. South West Wales. Um, ah, right, so that's my own... On the border between Ceredigion and Carmarthenshire. Uh-huh. Um, so, I, like, well, none of, the, none of us are from North yeah. Wales. <laughs> um, so North Wales is a different thing entirely? Kind of, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's almost a... So, <laughs> so uh, just explore, though, again, that sense of leaving. Neil said leaving was a mm-hmm. thing you did. Is that... Does that resonate um, with you, or is it...? It, it's, it depends, really. Um, like, the way it is at the moment is that the people that have stayed, if they are um, girls, then they've either married into farms 
or they've got pregnant young and had and because I grew up in the school I went to was in Ceredigion which has got the highest percentage of young uh, pregnancy in the UK yeah UK I think it's the UK Um, and so we grew up in a way where like I had a lovely upbringing growing up on a farm you have all these fields and you can that's your back garden is just running around and you've got a forest to play with and all that Um, but it also meant that um, during the time of TB for example um, not TB sorry the the foot and mouth it meant that um that I was not allowed to go out. We had to go to school, but that was it. As soon as school was over, we went home and we were stuck at home. Um, we had to be careful about when we decided to go shopping and all these like little things where you felt really like, um, like when you're growing up watching the TV and you see all these documentaries about going to this place and you can go to India and all these places and all these different jobs that you can do as well. Um, it just it was kind of like me and my sister we grew up in a, a world different to my um, parents my grandparents my great grandparents where we had knowledge of the world outside of farming so, so leaving for you was it's a positive step you're, you're going out into the world it's not it, yeah it um it can be looked at both ways to be honest like um it is a positive step in the sense that um like when I mean when I go home now and um, because of the show we've been in newspapers we, uh, we've been on TV in Wales a bit and all that it, the people at home are very interested and like oh isn't she doing well for herself but at the same time they've also got this thing of she's left us and like especially for the older generation of farmers they're very much um, kind of feel quite disappointed in what's happening with all the young farmers leaving. Hiraith is such a. I just. I'm going to have this word now. I'm going to use Hiraith. But That's a good one. I'm uh, N- Neil. Do you? Do you? Is that an emotion that you recognise as well? Uh, yeah, I do. I do. And um, in very particular contexts, um, I get incredibly patriotic about rugby ridiculously so and 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 that goes way beyond you know people think in Scotland that the Tartan army is passionate about football yeah. it's 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 nothing compared yeah. to the Welsh nation about rugby i mean everybody yeah. from the oldest grandmothers you know down to, to babes in arms you know it is an obsession and i still have that every match day i have that i have it about certain people and music uh, that i grew up with we were talking earlier i i have very good friends with a guy called John Langford who was in a band called the Mekons back in the 70s, for those of you who remember, one smile there of acknowledgement, a couple. And um, John Langford's a very good friend of mine, and he now lives in Chicago, but he's actually in Orkney this weekend with the Mekons, which I think would be the most extraordinary collision of things. So people, and, and he's another exile. A lot of the people who I stay in touch with are the, we, are the exile. were exiled almost so let's, from it. Let, let's just push on to this culture thing here. So um, I guess there's two things to tease out. One is that... I think to those of us in the rest of the UK, we know Wales maybe best through its culture. I doubt most people could talk about the details of the history uh, of Wales, but I think all of us would uh, would be able to talk about Dylan Thomas or the Manic Street Preachers or uh, uh, Edward Thomas or even Goldie Looking Chain. Um, but from Newport, well, that's why I've mentioned it. Um, and I suppose. I want to then also ask a little bit about the National Theatre of Wales. So I guess I'm saying, to what extent do you think that that, that Welsh people see the kind of products, like the bands and the poetry, as part of something that is, you know, a cultural identity? And also, to what extent have the institutions of devolution and the creation of things like National Theatre of Wales changed any of that, made it made it different? That's a big question, but if perhaps if we start with Neil and then... Um, go back. Oh, <laughs> well, I guess I mean yeah. you've yeah. Um, uh, I mean, I mean, the National Theatre of Wales story is interesting because obviously, the National Theatre of Scotland. We we started in two thousand and five and produced our first work in two thousand and six, and um, I was I was asked by the Arts Council of Wales when they were setting up the National Theatre of Wales to kind of they consulted heavily with us and spoke to us, and it was quite clear that they wanted to use a similar model that they felt 
they had. I mean, the, the, so the just, one thing just that to be I was, clear, this is the model without walls. The model this without walls uh, of, of a national theatre that didn't have its own large institutional building, but actually worked either out with traditional theatre buildings or with the existing infrastructure that, that, that was already there. And, and indeed, I was on the interview panel that appointed John McGrath as the first director, so I'm quite proud of that, that I think, cause I think he's doing a fantastic job. However, the one thing I would say about the National Theatre World, and this is, this is from the context of my 87-year-old father and 82-year-old mother, who were serious pains in the ass to the National Theatre of Wales, I have to right. say. If John McGrath gets a letter about once a month from my dad, and, um, uh, and they know him personally, you know. And the National Theatre of Wales have taken the most extreme, almost, of what NTS does, which is... And I can't think of a National Theatre of Wales show that isn't a walk in a muddy field, generally. And for right. an 87-year-old dad, he kind of wants... He wants the James plays. He wants to see things in theatres, and he wants to see Dunsinane or whatever. Yeah. And, in fact, they come and see us. So I think National Theatre of Wales have actually been a lot more radical in some ways in their work than us. We've, we've I think, tried to balance our programme between shows which are wildly adventurous uh, in location or form, and actually doing shows that can fill the Festival Theatre in Edinburgh. I think NTW have been much more radical in some senses, of, of, and you may disagree with me on this, this is just from the outside, um, that their work has actually been much more about, slightly more idiosyncratic, and I think that's partly because there isn't quite the same infrastructure in Wales that we have in Scotland, or the same pressure to, co to collaborate with theatre buildings all around Scotland. There aren't that many companies in Wales to do that with. That's my perception from the outside. So, Sarah-Jane, would you say that um, something like... So you, a new institution's been created. It has this name, National Theatre of Wales. There's also another... Is there not also another National Theatre of yeah, Wales? Yeah, Theatre Genedlaethol Cymru, which is like the Welsh-speaking National Theatre right. of Wales. And is there interaction between those two institutions? Um, or? Yeah, there is starting to be on like a lot of different levels. So I think... Um, there is, on a production level, definitely there's stuff in the pipeline, which I'm not sure if I should say that or not, yeah. but still, but they are. But also on an artist development level, so um, uh, there's something called Wales Lab that National Theatre Wales do, which is that they kind of give pots of money out to artists who apply for it and to do R&Ds on their own specific projects. And they've now come together to kind of do that in the Welsh language and the English I mean, language. This is perhaps a chance to open up the idea and the question of language because when we think about Scotland and the, and the, there are many similarities in some ways between Scottish and, and Welsh politics and devolution and so on but one I think profound difference is this issue of language and you've opened it up there with the idea of the National Theatre of Wales and Bivig you, you're also your show is bilingual tell us a little bit about how language works um, as in as a, as a sort of a daily um uh, marker, if you like, in I mean, for example, you know, do you do you choose when you're making a show? Are you choosing to make it bilingual? Is it is that a political choice? Is that a cultural choice? What what impacts on you when you think right? I'm going to write in one language or another. Um, so, when creating this show, um, there, there's one section of the show where we actually touch on the political status of the Welsh language um, through. And why is, that a, why is that a thorny issue? Just because we, we, we don't know um, that. So. It, it's, it's like an ongoing thing which probably will never end. But I, um, so I'll lose like the sort of background that I grew up in. Um, I grew up, my parents speak Welsh. Like we only speak Welsh to each other, except for when there's somebody English in the room, mm. then we'll switch to speaking English. But my parents have always found it quite difficult to... And I always find it quite difficult to speak English to my parents because it's just such a bizarre thing to do. Um, but my sister's married an uh, English-speaking Welshman, so we've, we've now got more used to speaking English. Um, but I also grew up in an area where um, there's a family there that look after which is community of the Welsh language, which is quite... They they're very political in the way they run and they they basically they're known for being the protesters. So if there's something going on, they'll be there protesting, and they'll find something about whichever they're protesting about, which is related so to the Welsh language. A, a road sign or a I mean I'm yeah, trying not I mean, to be facetious, but I mean I just want to understand. So someone who a set of people who want to defend the Welsh language where it's where yeah. its presence they feel it ought to be and. 
Yeah, and they, they've done a lot of amazing things. Like, um, it, back in the, I think it was the 60s, they, they did get the road signs bilingual. And um, there was a lot of things back then that weren't bilingual, that needed to be bilingual. And we got a Welsh government out of Gwyn Evans, who's my yeah. friend's grandfather. And we got an S4C, like our own TV yeah. channel. Um, but now it feels like, for me anyway, personally, it feels like the Welsh language is quite present in Wales, um, um, but they are still fighting to find things. Neil, do you want to come in on that? I, I do, because we talked about this earlier, and um, it, it's the for me it's the biggest single issue why Wales can't have a if we can talk about politics, mm. which we'll bring it around to yeah. a little, why Wales can't have a concentrated. It feels to me can't have quite the concentrated discussion about genuine independence and issues is because the language is a massive form of division in Wales, right. strangely. I mean, I grew up in, in South East Wales where Welsh was not taught and not spoken. You know, I mean, it was, it, was, it was unheard of. It wasn't in the schools. It's now coming back into the schools and Welsh is starting to be adopted. But there's, we have a word, we talked about this word earlier outside, that there's, there's a group of people in Wales who get a quite, we have a word called the tafia which is what the word they use for the Welsh-speaking middle classes from the river Taffingard, the Taffy, the Taffia, which my father, my father, he has a bigger fear, such a fear of these people because he thinks that they control the media, they control politics. And, and the worst thing in his lifetime, I suspect, that has happened is that people in, in Newport now speak Welsh because there is an absolute class of people, including friends of mine who I grew up with who've taught themselves Welsh independently and it is not unusual it would still be unusual in Newport in Cardiff absolutely not unusual to be in a bar and to hear Welsh spoken around you on a regular basis and that's you know, a, it, it, I think that's a revival in it's some a sense. revival it's, it's an absolute revival it it's isn't kind of cling on to a dying language to me it's no. the gr so I I celebrate that and, yeah. and and I resent that I wasn't taught it but I think there's a generation who have to get over that yeah. and this whole notion of the tafia which just it runs so deep. We, as soon as I said it outside, we all laugh because it's just something that you just you get brought up with. I think that's fascinating. Do you want to come in, Sergeant? Because you 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 also, I guess, you're working on a bilingual show, but you said yeah. that you have discussions even amongst the company on language. Yeah, I mean, and definitely, and with other companies on language as well, because I'm I'm Welsh. I was brought up in Wales. Um, I now work in Wales. I, I left Wales to go to university, but there's a lot of people who would question the fact that I am Welsh because I don't speak the Welsh language. And yet I got an A star at a GCSE, and Bud got a. What did you get? I got a B. I, I like the way that Sergio made sure the microphone was in front of Bud's face. Hold on. Can I just say though, I got a B in first language Welsh, and then you got A star for. Like, yeah, okay, so well, we've settled. Yeah, we've settled that, although. <laughs> But um, there's a lot of people that would say that maybe I'm not that Welsh. So, you, so there's a sense it. that the language is, is, is brought in, as can be brought in as a sort of divisive tool. Yeah. Because we're sort of running out of time, and as always with these uh, Bowie discussions, I feel like a week is what's really necessary to tease out all the issues in an area. But I think I have to kind of ask, just straightforwardly, all of you have now got experience in Scotland. Neil lives in Scotland for a long time, but you guys are visiting. Can you just reflect a little moment on what's happening in Scotland now, the referendum debate? How does that, how is that being seen in Wales? How does it reflect back? How does it reflect back to Welsh people? Do they notice it? What What are you noticing? Yeah, it? I think people are waiting to. See, people in Wales are waiting to see what happens in in Scotland. But I almost think that maybe people in Wales are a bit less um, interested in it, or just inter I don't know, interested in like potentially. Does it seem like a threat? We often get told that it's perceived as a threat that that, that Wales would be sort of abandoned um, if Scotland would be independent. Is that something you recognise? I don't think so. I think there's a lot of people in Wales who are maybe waiting to see if Scottish if Scotland did get independence. I think there's a group of people in Wales that would want to fight for Wales to get independence themselves. And to follow in that kind of Scottish, like so, it's a sort of a up. bit of a wait and see. What, what, but yeah. Lily, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I kind of agree. There's, I mean, there's to be honest, there's a group of people in Wales that have been wanting to get independence from from England. They don't care about they they could stick with Scotland, they could stick with Ireland. They don't mind yeah. them, 
but being independent from England for it's, so long, a, right. and now the the whole Scotland thing is happening, and they're like, this could be our chance. Yeah. And but, but these are the people who um, speak Welsh, and will um, they can often use that as a um, tool against people who right. are Welsh, but they don't classify them as Welsh because they don't speak Welsh. So that it's almost I mean, there's Neil, two different types of Welsh. I guess two, two questions for you, Neil. One is you've referred to your parents or their generation. How would they perceive something like Scottish independence? It's absolutely generational. They yeah. they would they would be they would be they would be with David Bowie in his yeah. They are with David Bowie on his yeah. yacht yeah. In, in New York. Oh, they're very welcome. They're very so welcome to him. Um, <laughs> no, I mean they that generation would would be very firmly no, that, but. The generation who I grew up with, who stayed in Wales, I, I think would, would would be yes. The thing I noticed, just just anecdotally, is is my own children. I'll embarrass my son who sat down here. That that I think they feel so much. When I think back to what I was like at their age in Wales, they identify much more with Scotland generally than I did right. than I did with Wales. And I think they that generation is getting hugely influenced by this whole debate. To the fact that I I, I actually had a conversation with my seven year old daughter this morning about independence because the the voting card came the through. The voting card came and through. I, and we were very excited by this. And, my, yeah. and I said to her, she said, how are you going to vote? And I said, I think you should you should decide that because it's, it's going to affect yeah. you more than me in yeah. your life. And, you know, as a seven-year-old, she was very she was very firmly of the view that, that, that we should make our own decisions, not the Queen. But, you know, the, it, it got downgraded. Salute, it eventually got downgraded the to the Prime Minister. It got downgraded to the yeah, Prime yeah. Minister eventually. But, but generally, I think they're much, more, they're much more in tune with their own place yeah. in their country than, than I was, at, in, uh, other than around sport, probably. Yeah. But that's yeah. just an anecdotal thing. But I think moving forward, I think that whatever happens in September, you know, I think that, that ain't going to go away, that, that sense of actually feeling very much more rooted to the country as as an independent notion. Yeah. I'm not saying yes or no or anything. I was very I like careful that. It's a lovely phrase, because we need to sort of draw to a close, but I like the idea of an independent notion as against an independent nation. And the points <laughs> the points at which those two things might overlap each other being um, being something interesting, political, and as to where people stand. Um, I feel like we ha- we've only just begun to scratch the surface. Um, and just to let you know that the uh, the conversation, we try to let the conversation continue in the bar afterwards as well, so please do join us. But in the meantime, would you give an enormous uh, uh, thanks to our panel, to, uh, to Bithig, to Sarah-Jane and to Neil Murray. Thanks very much indeed. Um, and as they leave the stage, um, we... We have, uh, every day, we have a letter to the Bowie yurt from somewhere in the world. We've had letters from East Timor. Uh, we've had letters from Dumfries and Galloway, which had a cow mooing in the background, which was good as well. Uh, sometimes the letters are on video, sometimes the letters are delivered in person. And in this instance, we have a letter from Wales. The letter is from Lucy Ellenson, who's a wonderful writer and performer, uh, she's not able to deliver the letter in person or on video, but we have our own Sarah Sharawi is going to read the letter for us. So uh, please welcome Sarah Sharawi to, le- to read Lucy Ellenson's letter from Wales. Okay. Can you hear me? Yeah? <clears throat> Dear Scotland, I wasn't sure if I should write. I'm pretty sure you've had enough of having people tell you what to do about this thing with this much potential. I'm from Northeast Wales, but I'm writing to you from the Midwest of America where I've been all summer. I'm writing you a postcard. On it is an image of a woman who looks a bit like me and she's sitting on the stoop sipping coffee and wondering where we are. Where we all are now and where we could be in the future. She's listening to the radio. She's listening to the national public radio news and, well, it's just on the background really. And as she tunes in and out, she forms a mental picture of the world where she is now and what it is today. White noise. 
Detroit, a bankrupt city council turns off running water to citizens who cannot pay their bills. They white noise. State of California, except its private golf courses are living in what's now classified as exceptional drought throughout white noise. It's on the rise, white noise. A voice which says, this is just how it is. It's the way of the world. It's how it's always been. Unsatisfied, she turns to tapping, which leads to logging on. Two words typed in. Search engine silently selects, delivers data to the screen. Her screen now filled with images of people, loads and loads of people holding placards, holding hands, holding on to democratic process, holding the line, holding on perhaps for dear life, dear Gaza. She searched for people, protest. She's holding out for something, hope. Dear Scotland, I wasn't sure what I should write. I'm pretty sure you've, you've heard all there is to, to say re what you need to know about this thing with this much potential. I'm writing you a speech. I'm sat sipping coffee and I'm wondering what to say and what it is that we should do and what we could be in the future. But what would I know? I'm just an ordinary person. I'm listening to the experts and the experts say white noise. Leaders from the Yes campaign say white noise. News in that Trini and Susanna join an army of celebrities to white noise. Time for a musical break. Marvin Gaye? Anyway, I know I'm just an ordinary person, and it's quite late in the day, and it's hard to compete with the likes of Ben Fogel, but I've decided to start a new campaign. It's called I Would. <coughs> If I had the opportunity to take power from Westminster, break it down and put it in the hands of ordinary people, I would. And yes, knowing at first it wouldn't be good enough, yet I'd still take it. Break it, break it down again, I would. And again, I would break it down again. And then we, the people, loads and loads of people would have our power to hold. If I had the chance to be part of a process that meant our government would, on our instruction, would reject the greed and grab of private healthcare companies, private finance initiatives, I would. I would keep the guarantee that care is there for everyone who needs it. I would take it. I would. For people who choose between heating and eating, families being fed by the food banks, for the thousands who are homeless, who access mental health services and refugees, and refugees our disenfranchised young people, for the disabled men and women being blamed for a financial crisis they did not cause, for our teachers and their students, for the services that, you, that, that used to belong to all of us but are now run for the rich, against prejudice and inequality, against those who say that this is just the way of the world, because it isn't, for legal aid and against prisons run for profit, for people seeking sanctuary and against those pandering to fears of immigration, for people who live in detention centers, in poverty, in fear, for Gaza, against Islamophobia, against anti-Semitism, against sexism, transgenderism, homophobia, racism, and imperialism in all its forms, to stop drones, to stop Trident, a hundred years of industrialized war and now, dear Iraq, to halt the bedroom tax and corporate greed, then, and the absurd notion that the best thing we can achieve as human beings is to make dollar whatever the cost. For our welfare system, for social housing, for, watch out, the words get even bigger now, democracy, for our future, for our climate change future. Dear Scotland, I would vote for that future if I had the opportunity. I would. I would sign up to make this thing with this much potential come to life, to move to the power directly into the hands of the many, not the few, to make happen the society they say can't exist. Dear Scotland, here I am, still writing, sat sipping, wondering, who are we? Who have we been till now? Who can make a future? I'm writing this, this future of yours, has so much potential. I'm listening to the past, a past and people in it, people I've worked with, been inspired by, who've changed things, young and old and older, scareder, braver, 
White noise, 1649. A group of men and women meet on St. George's Hill in Surrey and plant crops and occupy land, declaring themselves free men and women, that the earth is a common store, house for all. White noise. 2012. An 81-year-old woman chains herself onto a group of new friends and the railings of the House of Lords on the day those corporate servants vote on behalf of their boards and investment portfolios and against our NHS. White noise. I've written you a letter. Thanks for listening. And I'm signing off now with the words of a good friend, the son of a Scottish woman who lives in England. A year ago, he wasn't sure what he thought about Scottish independence. When I asked him recently if I could share this with you tonight, he said that'd make him very proud. And he told me if he could, he would too. Thanks, Alex. This is a true story. Two friends stand admiring something. I'm not actually sure what they're admiring. I think it's a building, a Gothic cathedral, stone arches, buttresses, tor towers soaring. But it could be a bridge. I'm picturing Clifton Suspension Bridge, though it could be the Fourth Road Bridge. Perhaps it's a machine or an engine. I know that one of the friends likes vehicles. It could equally be a painting, maybe something by Pollock or Picasso's Guernica or anything by Paula Rigo, or a sculpture. Perhaps the figure is on Crosby Beach. Let's say it's a building, and they're admiring it. And the first friend says, it's amazing, isn't it? to think that this was built by ordinary people. Yes, but, says the second friend, everything is done by ordinary people. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thanks, Sarah, for reading that. Thanks, Lucy, for sending it. Uh, every day at Bowie's, we have a poet. Uh, normally, the poet is in person, but in this instance, uh, our poet is from Wales and, is, and has sent her poem by video. So I am, my fingers are very tightly crossed that this is going to work because it wasn't working earlier on, but hopefully it will. Please remember your sentences, Wales is dot, dot, dot. And hopefully we'll be able to collect them in after we've heard from our poet, who today is Katrin Daffid. And once the screens are revealed, we should be ready to go. Shamai Ogamri, Shamai from Wales. Here is a poem about someone in Wales who's been following the recent events in Scotland on Twitter. Tell you what. Tell you what. Tell you what. Have you seen them? They're absolutely every woman. On telly, yeah, but on Facebook, Twitter, they're like seriously all over. Talking about independence, they are. Tweeted it into existence. Nah, I know. Never knew it could be. But they're just doing it. And it's making me see. I mean, there's our salmon bloke. He's obviously mint. If I had a pound for each argument he lost, I'd be skint. But those people who tweet, not famous or nothing, that's what really gets me going. Holding meetings, you're there everywhere, willing it alive, hell yeah. I don't know if they know, like, the impact they're having. The whole world over is blooming blinding. Aye, it's ellish powerful to see people just like you and me living on a land, asking the questions, moving mountains in their millions. I reckon they're on to something, not just watching telly, but being the TV programme, really. You can kind of taste their freedom. In each tweet, that drive, they're dreaming so hard that it's coming alive. Thanks very much. Um, Thanks, Catherine. Uh, it might sound odd to say thanks, Catherine, when she's not here, but this is a chance to remind you that uh, everything is being uh, recorded for the podcast and can be listened to uh, at your leisure uh, or shared with people. So hopefully she'll get a chance to hear your applause and reaction to her poem. And unusually, 
someone being nice about Twitter as well, which in this day and age is uh, surprising. So, have you all done your sentences? Great. Let's, Sarah, perhaps, if we can have the uh, bibbity-bobbity hat into which we will collect them and we'll see, hear our crowdsourced responses. So just get them all to the end. Um, <clears throat> while Sarah's collecting them in, it is worth, um, it's worth maybe saying that the, uh, the reason... We, we didn't just... It wasn't just sheer sort of political vanity or hubris that led us to the National Library of Scotland. They, they happened down to our first event. And we were doing this exercise of the crowdsourced poem but it came to us at the last minute, so we didn't um, leave bits of paper and pens out on the chairs like we would have if we had prepared. Anyway, the National Library curator uh, of the referendum came down and, and happened across the, this, exactly like this, this pile of scraps with stuff written on it. And I said, well, do you want... We've got everybody to sign the Bowie guest book and I've got all the details of the emails we sent. Do you want all that? She said, no, no. She said, I want this. This is gold. So um, I always like to imagine every day that at some point 200 years in the future, some historian or other looking back at this time will rifle through these things. And it always seems to me that what will be almost as interesting as your fascinating sentence will be the fact that it's written on this Ducher's map of Edinburgh or, or what's actually in the receipt. So anyway, thanks very much. So here we go. We're going to try this. We won't get through them all, but we will put them all on the podcast, because uh, so, there's a lot here today. So remember, our sentence was Wales is. This is our crowdsourced poem response. Okay, here we go. Wales is watching. Wales is a really mixed up country. Wales is the founder of Wikipedia, I think. Wales is the pregnant belly of England. Wales is a unit of measurement. Wales is next. Wales is the land of rugby. Wales is a country stuck to England. Wales is a proud nation, but we should all stick together as one UK. Wales is a land of poets and choirs and wilderness. Wales is divided by language. Wales is spectacular and colourful. Wales is red, green and yellow and white. Wales is where my grandma lives. Wales is warning knights Richard Burton... I steadfod dot dot dot. Wales is a distinct culture, history, traditions, that sort of thing. Wales is a good friend, whatever happens. Wales is where I'm going on holiday next summer. Wales is nice, a nice piece of the planet. Wales is and always will be a good neighbour to Scotland, even after independence. Wales is Dylan Thomas and Nurin Bevin, poetry plus socialism. Wales is a place I don't know much about, so I'd love these insights. Wales is a curious absence. Wales is very wet. Wales is large mammals. Oh, come on. Wales is you divided by language, united by passion. Oh, heraith. 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 Wales is laver bread. Tom Jones, the longest station name in the world. Uggy, uggy, uggy. Oi, oi, oi. Wales is Prince Harry's name in the army. Wales is the place where I rediscovered cider. Wales is a great place to be from. I think two more Wales is where they film Doctor Who. Wales is someone that speaks our language. Wales is a nation of many individual nations. Wales is not unusual. That's quite, I like that one. That's good. Give yourselves a round of applause. Uh, that was a particularly good one. You're a very good audience. Um, I didn't mean to say that like I was patting a pet or anything. I just, I just, I, I like the poem every day, and that was a good one. Um, <clears throat> well, that, uh, thank you very much. We, we, it just remains for me to um, uh, to thank everybody before we have the band back. Uh, so please, once more, a round of applause for our fantastic panel, Neil and Billig and Sir Jane. Uh, a round of applause for Lucy Ellenson's uh, letter and Sarah reading it. Uh, for our poet, Katrin. And um, finally, uh, to say that tomorrow on All Back to Bowie's is the Sunday session where we have no talk, just bands, mostly bands, and tomorrow we'll have some sketches. 
a uh, bit of comedy. Um, and then on Monday, we're back to the usual format, and we have a fantastic panel uh, waiting for the gift of sound and vision, uh, talking about Scotland and the media, new media in the, in the independence referendum with Ian McQuirter, um, uh, Ross Cahoon, uh, uh, Derek Bateman et al. So that'll be a good one. Come to that. Check out the website for the other days. See if anything interests you. In the meantime, please give it up for the absolutely fantastic A New International to give us a song to close with. Uh, come up, guys. A New International. I like the idea that the changeover will be smoother after independence. I think it's almost a metaphor for independence. It'll be a bit complicated, but we'll get there in the end. That's obviously my I'm revealing too much of my opinion there. Uh, it's a bit complicated, we'll get there in the end, and when we get there, it will be brilliant. So, a new international. different types of songs in our band. We have hat on songs and hat off songs. So this is definitely a hat off song. It's called Tenterhooks. I will take
Thank you very much, Scott. Thanks very much. Gosh, shiver all up my spine after that. That was absolutely brilliant. Thanks, guys. That's a new international. Please come back to the Bowie Year. You'll always be very welcome. Enjoy the rest of your day at the Fringe. Thank you. Okay, so these are the sentences from the show of Saturday the 16th August. And the sentence was, Wales is. Wales is different from Scotland. We cannot compare them in terms of independence. Wales is where Anne Robinson has a jihad cafe. Wales is good for cider. Wales is wonderful. Wales is gentle. Wales is a dyslexic's nightmare. Wales is predominantly for the oceanic demographic. Wales is on my to-do list. Wales are great. Heraith. Nostos. Wales, wet, wasted, not a dot on the landscape. Wales, a puzzle to me, a mysterious place, divided by language, something which should unify a nation. How can the Welsh people build consensus, survive, without ability to speak together? Wales is the great little dragon of Great Britain. Wales is where I'm going on holiday next summer. Wales is a place I don't know much about, I realise, so thank you for these insights. Wales is where my grandma lives. Wales is red and green and yellow and white. Wales, Wales is Labour Bread and Tom Jones, the longest station name in the world. Uggy, 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 oi, oi, oi. Wales is large mammals. Wales is next. Wales is watching. Wales is a curious absence. Wales is a great place to be from. Wales is a distinct culture, history, tradition, that sort of thing. Wales is a land of poets and choirs and wilderness. Wales is warring knights, Richard Burton, Eisteddfod. Wales is a unit of measurement. Wales is where they film Doctor Who. Wales is divided by language, united by passion. Wales is Prince Harry's name in the army. Wales is spectacular and colourful. Wales is Dylan Thomas, plus a near in Bevan, plus poetry, plus socialism. Wales is and always will be a good neighbour of Scotland, even after independence. Wales is a nice piece of the planet. Wales is a good friend, whatever happens. Wales is divided by language. Wales is a proud nation, as in Scotland, but we should all stay together as one UK. Wales is a country stuck to England. Wales is the founder of Wikipedia, I think. Wales is the pregnant belly of England. Wales is not unusual. Wales is the place where I discovered cider. Wales is a really mixed up country. Wales is a nation of many individual nations. Wales is very wet. Wales is a treasure too little tapped. Wales is the land of rugby. Wales is someone that speaks our language.